Hello everybody, welcome back. It is me again, Tavis Killian, and it is Monday. Monday, September 14th, and today, stop by the local diner to get some breakfast with my roommate, and it is kind of strange to see how quickly things adapt. I mean, this is one of your traditional griddle-in-the-back, standard breakfast diners, black coffee for everyone, and it's changing, it's growing, it's adapting to the times. Now their website has an application where you can place an order and come and pick it up, you know. It's moving along with the rest of them. People are starting to adapt strategies to move into the future, to not be rendered obsolete, and it makes me happy to see that. People are having the foresight for it and maybe thinking, well, if this is how things are going to be and I can only fit five people in the restaurant, I've got to adapt, I've got to move on, and I love it. I don't want to see my favorite breakfast joints get rendered obsolete, but even so, I know you didn't come here to listen to my breakfast, no. You came here for those stats and those news stories, so let's jump right into it. WTI is currently at $37.17. A week ago, it had fallen to a low of about $36.50, mid-$36 range, so we're seeing slow, slow recovery, but things seem to be trending in the correct direction. Rig count. It finally fell. It's now 254. Two weeks ago, we saw no change. Last week went up two, and now we have fallen two again. So overall, three weeks of net neutral ain't too bad. What is bad is the 632 rig difference from one year ago today. As for the drawdown, Labor Day seems to have interrupted the EIA's regular reporting schedule, so we can ride off the waves of ignorance until things truly go bad or good. Let's hope for the latter. But as for the news, big story, BP recently announced that oil demand will fall over the next 30 years. Now, every year, they release an energy report that predicts energy usage, emissions, portfolio diversity, among other things from a global perspective. This year's report is a bit more gloomy than the last few, claiming demand for oil falls over the next 30 years. Three cases were investigated spanning from a business-as-usual, rapid, and net-zero perspective in which all cases cite concerns for the increasing efficiency and electrification of road transportation. Even in the best case scenario, the business as usual case, the demand will never recover to pre-pandemic levels. Sure, demand will increase a bit, but then it's expected to plateau before dropping in the future. Rapid drop accounts for a 70% reduction in emissions and a liquid fuel demand of 55 million barrels per day, as opposed to the roughly 100 million barrels per day we had before the pandemic, and net zero assumes emissions will drop by 95% by 2050. No, you didn't hear me wrong. It was right, 95%. Now, this is based on massive assumptions of consumer behavior change in circular economies. If you don't already read the annual BP Energy Outlook report, I strongly suggest you at least glean through the pages because you are certain to pick up some information and maybe new perspectives. That being said, the most recent report leaves me scratching my head. It comes off as incredibly pessimistic, especially if you consider the previous two reports. The 2019 report claimed, and I quote, This was 2019. The demand for energy is set to increase significantly, driven by increases in prosperity in the developing world. It should be noted that when BP says prosperity, they really mean the loose correlation of an increased GDP in countries like Africa and areas in East Europe and Asia. That was a year ago. COVID has drastically changed the perspective and altered the future trajectory. Now let's pop back another year to 2018, where similar arguments were made. The 2018 report reads, quote, Rising prosperity drives an increase in global energy demand, although the extent of this growth is offset by the accelerating gains in energy efficiency 
energy demand increases by only around one-third over the next 25 years, end quote. Again, a much more reasonable, non-extreme argument. If we consider all of these factors, I am exceptionally doubtful that electric vehicles in developing countries will offset the quality of life that poorer countries will be striving for in 2050. I think a more significant impact will be the electrification of international freight transportation, not domestic road transportation. Domestic electrification and renewable energy usage in the U.S. will have to drastically improve to change my opinion on this. If that happens, it will increase the demand of rare earth minerals necessary for these batteries, which will simultaneously increase the demand for extraction technologies that already make use of hydrocarbons. Maybe things will change by 2050, but it seems that the hydrocarbons are too integrated into the near term to establish a solid foundation for these claims. I mean, there's no way around the usage. Sure, we can reduce it, but it's not gonna be gone. Granted, only the press releases available of this report, which is four pages in length as compared to the around 100 page range or more, and also, I'm heavily biased, as I went to school for this and I want my specialized skills to remain relevant for my lifetime, so I strongly encourage you, listener, to read some of these reports on your own and see what information you can come up with, but to me, it seems too quick of a change in trajectories if you look at more recent years' claims. The next story interests me personally, as I grew up in Iowan and a Midwesterner. Now, I grew up in a small town and had to commute to the next town west to go to high school and junior high. This involved a 28-minute drive through nothing but cornfields. There's just so much corn. Unfortunately, corn is worth... Here, uh, let me check futures commodity pricing. Uh-huh. It says here that the contract for the next month is worth approximately diddly squat. To combat this, Iowa Senator Joni Ernst has been pushing for increased ethanol usage and fuel to support agriculture and specifically the demand for corn. There are several plants in Iowa that produce corn ethanol for fuel use. I mean, I've personally seen them. So between the farmers, factory workers, or anyone else involved in the corn supply chain, there are plenty of people who have interests vested in her policies. Senator Ernst was able to speak with Trump, prompting a tweet this last Saturday, September 12th, saying, Subject only to state approval, our important ethanol industry will be allowed to use the 10% pumps for that 15% blend. End quote, or end tweet, whatever. In 2019, the EPA lifted restrictions that blocked the sale of E15 in summer, which is that 15% blend, in many areas of the U.S. where smog is a problem. Even so, the biggest hurdle is actually infrastructural. The part of the tweet that said 10% pumps for 15% blends alludes to this, as most gasoline sold in the United States is about 10%, which is not currently allowed to be transported by the 15% blend. If this rule could be modified, it is possible that many more gas stations could be incentivized to offer the fuel because they wouldn't have to restructure their 10% lines They could just pump that 15% through. While this does rally support from Midwestern states, it is possible that supporting the biofuel substitute will erode support from oil-producing states that are already in a similarly poor position. Personally, I think corn is in a bad enough place that it likely won't help that much, and is really just staving off the inevitable. Like I said, there's just so much corn. There's too much corn. And I suppose we could stick to the topic of Trump in the context of sanctions. It has been a few weeks since we visited this topic. It seems that Venezuela is importing Iranian crude despite U.S. sanctions, and, well, for a good reason. The ship identified as horse, faked documents to identify as honey, and turned off its satellite signal before unloading 2 million barrels of our Iranian condensate in a Venezuelan port. The product will most likely be used by the state to blend with heavy crude to prop up domestic production because Venezuela has been in a bad place for a while. Revolving around a broken election and an economic depression, 
Venezuela's economy has crumbled and failed to deliver even the most basic products to his citizens as they survive off of rations and wait hours to get just a little bit of gasoline. Oil production was one of the nation's most profitable industries, leading to Venezuela becoming one of the founding members of OPEC. Now, output has slumped down to 339,000 barrels per day, according to a July report, which is the lowest level since the 1910s, over 100 years ago. Venezuela continues to ignore American sanctions as decline production means decline petrochemical production. Being able to substitute imported oil for the lack of production allows them to generate that sweet, sweet cash, gasoline, and other petrochemicals that they so desperately need. Now, Trump has sanctioned these transports because he wants to fight what he calls the regime of Nicolas Maduro, and uh, really Maduro is a root of a lot of these problems. He's Venezuela's current president, and Trump actually seized four tankers carrying Iranian crude last month. Now, this reminds me about a story growing up. I was sitting in my room, reading The Hobbit, and my room was a mess. My dad peeks in and says, hey, uh, clean up your room. I shouldn't have to ask you to do this, and if you don't clean it up, I'm going to throw all your stuff away. This was over the course of a few warnings because I was so engrossed in my book. Eventually, he came back, and <laughs> of course, he made the threat, and he didn't want to follow through, but he had the box, and he got rid of my stuff. So, what's Trump going to do? He's going to threaten sanctions, and well, he hasn't threatened sanctions. He said there will be sanctions, and if people fight those... Were we just going to seize oil? How is Iranian going to keep testing the waters? How is Venezuela going to keep accepting this? Should the U.S. even be concerned? I mean, we've got our own problems, but that's something for you guys to decide. But I think that is all we have for this episode. I know, very information-dense. Please go back, listen to it once more if you need to, or if you'd like to get some more information, go to rarepetro.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, too. You can find the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Additionally, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So stay subscribed, stay informed, and hey, entertained. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody.